you know, our training, uh, bellowing and snarling and mimicking this ferocity, it's going to keep you from being able to be cold and calm and access more fine motor skills under pressure. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Sistema, and this is Sistema for Life. Al, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Glenn. So it's a pleasure to uh, be meeting you. I've heard a lot about you from a lot of different angles, mostly from uh, Martin and a few other um, people who've trained old school and told me about your, your legendary prowess, particularly in the knife world, and for quite a while. But it's, uh, it's good to meet you in the flesh and looking forward to training with you all weekend. Well, likewise, likewise. So uh, can you tell folks a little bit about yourself and, um, uh, and your background, just kind of like the brief bio? And I mean, you've been training what, four, over four decades, probably. So if you told us the whole thing, we'd probably be here for three hours. So right. Give, give us the uh, the Cliff Notes version. How did you get into martial arts and, um, and what kinds of things have you done? Yeah, well, 22, two, 2022 will mark 50 years. Um, wow. And not that that means anything. It's like how much you're at something as opposed to how long you're in it, you know, mm. is, is a distinction you'd want to make. But, yeah, I guess my first martial fighting instruction was my, my dad uh, boxed in the Army. He was stationed in the Philippines and would teach me basics of boxing. And I would uh, ask people, uh, friends from school, to come home. We'd go in the basement and glove up, and it wouldn't be anything impressive to look at. But um, <laughs> that was, I guess, my first real instruction, I guess. And then uh, wrestled in high school and loved to fight in recess. <laughs> and then uh, but the actual organized martial arts um, would have been in 72. And um, I was... Uh, I'd always wanted to do martial arts, but couldn't find a school and then um, uh, decided to start doing it. So I joined Taekwondo because the word Taekwondo had a better ring than Shorei Ru. So that was the intelligence I used to pick Taekwondo. And for about two years, I did that. And reading about Bruce Lee, um, who was against belts, I, I would try to avoid belt tests. And I hated forms. All I wanted to do was kick and spar and, you know, do bag work. But anyway, I did Taekwondo and then uh, Shorinru Karate for a year and a half. Or actually Goju Kai, I'm sorry. Mm. Uh, and then Shorinru. Mm. And then in 76, mid to late 76, uh, I had read uh, that Dan Inosanto was Bruce Lee's top student. Yeah, but that he cross trained in Filipino martial arts, and so uh, I bought a, a, a Super Eight film that Dan put out. It was certainly the first instructional footage he ever put out on Super Eight film hmm. on Kali, um, and at the same time, one of his teachers, uh, Master Angel Cabalas, put out a, a Super Eight film uh, on Serrata Escrima. I bought both of those and watched those, uh, you know, incessantly mm. and really liked it. It was so different from karate yeah. in terms of the flow and the motion. And then probably a, two months after studying these, these films, I joined a new karate school just to get some new sparring partners. And there was a little guy in the, in the school who had just joined and he was wasting everyone in the sparring, mm. but he was doing things what you'd probably just call hand trapping and uh, multiple strike combinations. 
So in the dressing room, I asked him, hey, what have you, uh, what have you trained in? And he said, oh, I did some stick fighting in California. Mm. I said, really? Um, under who? And he said, uh, mostly Angel Cabalas and one of his students. I said, Jesus, I just bought a, a, a film uh, that Angel put out. And he yeah. said, really? He had no idea. So we became friends. We dropped out of the karate school, and we trained about two hours a day, five, six days a week for a year. Wow. And then I wanted to pursue that, so he was moving back out west. Um, I moved out west with my brother and a friend who I was working out with. <clears throat> we, um, we joined uh, Mike and I's uh, backyard Eskrima class. This was not generally open to the public as much as it is now. Mm. Um, so it was a hardcore, extremely hardcore backyard Eskrima class. Mm. Um, and... Um, I remember the first thing Mike asked me, <laughs> uh, he said, I appreciate you moving all the way out here to train, but I have to ask you something. Do you mind getting injured? <laughs> so I said, well, I, I came out here to learn whatever it takes. And he said, well, good. I just want you to understand up front, you will get injured in my class. Uh, I believe the element of danger has to be present in training to really bring out your warrior spirit. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, we did extremely heavy sparring without any armor. And uh, the only way we got away with that was a dit the jow formula he got from a man named Al Novak, who was the top student of James Lee, who mm. was a martial artist that introduced uh, Bruce Lee to Ed Parker <clears throat> and other people. But uh, you would get your hands and various contusions. Uh, this stuff would instantly take the pain away and keep it from swelling or bruising. Um, So that's how we got away with doing what we did. Mm. But um, we had people with their teeth knocked out and missing thumbnails, frequently broken knuckles. Um, But um, Dan Inasano was a friend of my teachers. They had had both trained with Angel. So Dan would come over some weekends. And they were forming a Filipino association called the West Coast Eskrima Society, try to get Eskrima and Kali groups together to exchange knowledge. It, It never really went that far but um what's the what's the um formative difference between those two i have to put uh, a bit of ignorance yeah, about so i did uh, a little bit uh, of screamer but i've never done carly sure um yeah the filipino they're just blanket broad terms like um car or food uh, mm. so a screamer but fencing right it just means well that. yeah screamer is yeah just skirmishing but yeah. it's a term applied to central philippine martial arts of which there are hundreds Okay. And then Arnis de Mano, harness of the hand, is what they call northern Philippine systems. Okay. And then uh, the southern Philippines are systems are Kali. Okay, so um, it's a geographic. Yeah, station. exactly. Okay, cool. And, and many systems of each. I mean, uh, yeah. there, are, there are systems in the Philippines that don't use weapons. They're grappling or striking systems without weapons. But okay. most of them have a weapon to empty hand progressions. Um, yeah. That would be an accurate general statement. Um Okay, cool. And uh, so, yeah, I got to meet Dan, and um, uh, and then we visited his school once or twice. Um, that's where I actually got to see Leo Gahi and Tom Vizio, who became um, uh, a teacher um, uh, in Xingyi, as well as Pekiti Tercia. But uh, uh, so, California, then I moved back west in, I think, 1980, um, after a couple of years. And uh, I had corresponded with Jesse Glover in the late 70s, um, who had written a couple of very good books on Bruce Lee. Mm. And uh, his, some of his letters and what he wrote in his books 
still echo to me because he talked about the importance of having a foundation to build skills on. Hmm. Uh, he would write and about Bruce Lee, for example, spending maybe four or five months developing a, a, a clothes that was modified from fencing, but he would do it three, four, five hours a day. When he couldn't make any more speed gains, he would uh, resort to different types of weight training to train specific muscle groups. Hmm. Then when he made a gain in strength, he would modify how he did his clothes, hmm. and he would go back and forth like that until he leveled out. Then he would plug maybe 30, 40 techniques into that close. And then he'd teach the end result to his students, none of whom could do it the way he did. Yeah, they no one's the going to do what he did to get there. Yeah. So that was sort of a guideline to me about trying to, um, if I did study anything, to try to understand the basics of it and, and build some foundation. Uh, because in the Philippine arts, I've seen many people do advanced quote unquote uh, techniques without a foundation. Yeah. Um, so. Same thing happens in Sistema, I think, that sometimes people watch Michael or Vladimir and they try and mimic uh, their movements and things. Like, you don't have the physical or the psychological <laughs> foundation to do that. Like, they arrived at that after a long uh, period I mean, of, um, you know, I think the same is true in, in different art forms like music yeah. or art. I mean, if you yeah. like Picasso, for example, you'd, you'd be foolish to try to, you know, mimic his end result. Yeah, because he was a fairly decent draftsman before he developed his abstraction. So right, he was a realist before he was a, right? yeah. exactly yeah. same thing in you know music. I mean, you you've got to uh, yeah try and copy uh, Steve Ray Vaughan's solo or something. You just end up sounding like a shitty Steve Ray Vaughan. Like, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so so what drove that? Um, what drove that kind of hunger to to keep experimenting with things. So it seems like you went, you, you know, you found something a bit special in Eskrima Filipino martial arts. Yeah. You, you mentioned that you've also trained Ching Yi, you've trained like Pekiti Tercia, well, all I, these other I, things. I think, I, I guess I trained in very seriously in about three Philippine systems, the Inasano blend, hmm. which is 45 different systems put together uh, from the teachers he had, and then the Pekiti Tercia from mostly Tom Biziona, workshops with Leo Gahi, and then... Uh, the Serata, and I had exposure to uh, Balintawak, which is really good, and Dose Parra's Illustrissimo style, and a couple of others. But then in the early 80s, uh, Tom and Leo did a workshop at a school that I ended up teaching in the Degerberg Academy, hmm. uh, which I taught at from 1980, 81 to 90, or 89 or 90. But um, you know, Fred School became like a martial art university. Uh, at one point, he had like 40 different systems being taught. And where was this place again? Where was, where uh, was Chicago. It was in Chicago, okay. Yeah. yeah, we were talking about this a bit in the pub last night. It sounded oh, like right. a martial artist's dream is like a, you know, oh, it was. a candy I mean, store uh, of everything you It was really ahead of its time. Two floors, full-size boxing ring. He was uh, probably one of the first people that would do video recording to critique yourself. He had electronic reflex timers, so if you wanted to, you could experiment with uh, breathing patterns and tension to see how much you could uh, decrease your reaction time and log it. I mean, he, he was ahead of his time, um, mm. had a whole room full of Wing Chun and spring-loaded arm dummies and different types of speed bags. I mean, uh, even the floor of his school, he had carpet remnants scattered all around and then the carpeting put on top of that to make an uneven surface to mm. uh, train on to try to simulate. Uh, but... Uh, uh, so at Fred's school, 
I met quite a few different martial artists. He would bring people in from all over the planet every few months, um, mm. like the Sabat team from France, uh, people from Indonesia, Burma, Thailand, Dr. G. Mongji from Bondo. Mm. Well, he was in Ohio at the time. But, uh, yeah, so I got a nice global uh, sampling of, of martial arts. And, mm. uh, you know, the skill level these people brought, um, you know, always kept me feeling pretty hungry and, 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 and humble and inadequate, really. Yeah. Um, so I, I gravitated towards Xingyi because I had, I had met, uh, one of my students had ended up training in uh, William Chen's Tai Chi body mechanic system, mm. which um, is, a, is a, it's a healthy, all Tai Chi can be healthy, but some of them are combative. So William Chen's was a combative system that, that taught boxing using um, Tai Chi body mechanics, mm. uh, like the opening and closing of the inguinal crease to generate power as opposed to shifting, dropping, or twisting. Yeah. Um, so I had done that and had gotten a lot of benefits. So I saw Tom Bizio after doing some Philippine uh, seminars with him and Leo Gahi, and I hadn't seen him for about two years. And it, the last time I saw Tom, I, I thought, he's got to have peaked. No one could be better at, at Kali than this because mm. he had unbelievable body mechanics. I didn't see him for a couple of years, and then he came back, and he was like three times better. He had been doing Xing Yi with a guy named Vince Black, mm. and it just you know, it, it seemed to me like it tripled his his speed, power, and body mechanics. So mm. you know, I asked him, "What what in the hell have you been training?" And he explained. So I started studying Xing Yi from uh, a friend of mine in Michigan. Started bringing Tom in three times a year for uh, stick knife workshops, but also Xingyi. Mm. And then there was a super high level Xingyi teacher in Chicago named Waylon Choi, mm. uh, who was the lineage holder of a, a Lu Hopa Fa system, mm. which is another internal Chinese martial art. Um, so Choi um, was great and he had a big influence and all of that went back into my Filipino stuff and changed it. Mm. Um, Choi, for example, He's about the same age and size as Inosanto. And Dan, when he would come to Chicago, would take private lessons with him mm. and described him as one of the best three martial artists he'd ever trained with an empty hand fighting. Wow. Uh, so, um, yeah, Choi and the Shingy, all of that kind of filtered back into my Filipino base. And I cross-trained in some C-Lot systems, uh, about four systems. Mm. Uh, so I also did some Wing Chun from Jesse Glover's students, and then Jim DeMille was an early student of Bruce Lee. Mm. And he had a student in Michigan that I ended up training with. And then I met a guy named Ron Vanderbrink in Chicago, who had moved to Chicago to study Kriya Yoga. And I really liked the guy. He was extremely good in the classical Wing Chun and could make it work. Mm. So we exchanged knowledge for about a year. It was one of the nicest, most simple, direct uh, you know, exchanges I've had in martial arts. Um, but then about a five year gap, uh, happened where I just didn't see anyone on YouTube or elsewhere that was very inspiring. Mm. Uh, so I, I just worked on what I had learned and, you know, developed stuff out of that. And it sounds then, like you had a lot to consolidate, you know, the, yeah, I mean, I top guys could have a lot of different fields been, and done that know, for a just, lifetime probably. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> do any number of one of these arts for a lifetime but yeah so I, I was digesting and 
experimenting with, but I, I hadn't trained with anyone that I just didn't see anyone out there that mm-hmm. was particularly inspiring or that didn't look like something I had already done in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And then I found a screen, uh, <laughs> Sistema. Mm. And I almost sent in for one of his Vladimir's early videotapes from an ad in black belt, mm. which just looked, body position Vladimir was in and the ad just looked odd. Yeah. But I didn't send in for it. So another year and a half went by and a guy called me uh, from Chicago. Um, so I, I still teach in Chicago since 1980, but I'm, I've been teaching at a martial arts school uh, for about 25 years. And this guy had heard about my class, wondered if he could join us. I said, yeah, absolutely. So I met, a, met this guy who was very nice and, uh, He'd done some CLOP. He had also done Systema and uh, had been to headquarters a couple times. So he handed me a bag of Vladimir's early videotapes um, and just asked me if I would mind looking at them and tell me tell him what I thought of this guy. Your expert opinion, being so, so well versed in some of these things. Yeah, actually, yeah, I guess it was. Um, so I, I, I watched the stuff and. You know, after one or two of them, I realized uh, I was looking at someone on a different level, higher level than anyone I trained with so far. Wow. And I should mention another guy that was a huge influence to me, Peter Ralston. Um, mm. He does a system he put together from many different sources uh, called Chen Shin. I've heard of him for, actually in my Aikido days when I was in uh, Japan. There was a subset of people from the Awama Dojo who we used to uh, sneak off and train Peter Ralston stuff in Japan. And then they would come <laughs> And they had like uh, they were making faster progress in the Wamadu Aikido than the people around them because if, if they were doing Ralston stuff, they just had more um, weight in their hands and they mm. had more sensitivity to, to movement. They could they could feel pressure and redirect it more easily. As mentioned in today's episode, uh, world-renowned martial arts phenomenon Martin Wheeler will be returning to North Carolina this October 21st to the 24th for our annual four-day event, the East Coast Masterclass NC. So if you haven't trained with him before, please do come and find out why top-level martial arts masters like Danny Santo and Higa Machado urge their students to train with Martin, um, and why Black Belt Magazine have labelled him the best-kept secret in the English-speaking martial arts world. This is going to be a deep multi-day exploration of fighting tactics, fusing the principles of Sistema with decades of hard-earned experience in boxing, grappling, and street fighting for Martin. And this year's theme is going to be skill, strategy, and intuition. We're going to work through a layered progression across all four days. Day one, Thursday, we'll be looking at grappling concepts. Day two, striking concepts. Day three, Friday, mixed martial strategies. And then day four, we'll be using Sistema as the operating system to kind of push all of the techniques and tactics from previous days into kind of instinct, implicit guidance, and control. The numbers are limited, and it's already about two-thirds full. I think we've got about 10 spots left on it. Um, so if you do want to register, please do go to ncsystema.com event. That's ncsystema.com event to sign up today. Um, it's currently at 800 bucks for the four days, but if you're listening to this podcast, um, then you can put in the checkout code SFL, as in Systema for Life, at the checkout, and you will get 20% off, bringing it down to $650. So enter the code SFL at checkout, and you 
you will be able to register for all four days for $650. If you're not able to make all four days, there's a weekend price of $350, and you can email me at the usual address to try and get details for that. Hope you can join us. It's going to be a great event. It's going to be all outdoors at Falls Lake. Um, no COVID restrictions this year because we're all vaccinated and sorted. So please do come join us um, from October 21st to the 24th for the East Coast Masterclass with Martin Wheeler. His first book, Effortless Power, uh, got in the early 80s and reread it and then uh, met him in 1987. He did a workshop in Chicago. And uh, I'd have to say, having met him, um, he actually is on a Vladimir level in terms of awareness, uh, the ability to manipulate you, even if you're resisting uh, mm -hmm. and take you down. Or, and his striking ability is... is uh, you know, it's scary. He would hit you with a glancing shot on the pectoral muscle on a, on a banking angle. And you could tell he could kill you, I mean, <laughs> as could Vladimir or Michael if they wanted to, sure. uh, for some reason. But, uh, <laughs> Thankfully, they don't. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, he was impressive. And uh, his, his writing and his, uh, the one time I met him had a huge influence. Um, mm. But anyway, uh, I, I studied the videos that Vladimir did. I would teach what I felt I could from the videos, you know, like whatever, seven, 10 hours a week. And after six months, I went to Toronto uh, with a friend who was very versed in CELOD and other arts. Um, and, um, you know, I had high expectations as probably anyone would, well, who looks at his stuff and is inspired by it and doesn't yeah. think it's fake. And I could tell immediately just from the body mechanics and, things he was doing that it was not fake. Hmm. But uh, I went up, stayed a couple of days, um, wonderful trip. Um, he far exceeded what I thought he would be. Usually if you have expectations, the, you're, it's always a letdown. Yeah. In his case, it was the inverse. Um, so I started going up regularly. And uh, <clears throat> the uh, one revelation I had was... I was trying too hard to not, uh, when we did knife disarming work, I, I would try too hard to not do anything uh, that I had done in the past, sure. which is like a form of tension. And then after a couple of trips, I just said, screw it. I'm just going to do what feels natural. Yeah. And, uh, and there are disarms I've learned in Philippine systems that are identical to Sistema, except they do it with, uh, I'll go over this in the workshop tomorrow, but, mm. uh, or today. Um, but then I, I felt like I started improving more by not trying to not do anything. Sure. And if, if, and I'm sure a lot of people do this too, but you know, if you did something from a previous system in a systemic class, you don't suddenly stop flabbergasted and say, Oh my God, uh, this has such a parallel with systema. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you just accept it as a natural thing that occurred in a natural way. Sure. So anyway, the, um, it's been interesting watching how his approach to teaching has changed over the years. And there were a lot of things, most things really, I, I really, really liked and a few things um, that weren't for me. Mm. And likewise, the same goes today. I like, you know, pretty much everything. And there are a few things I, I don't particularly uh, like or agree with, but uh, that's true with anything at any time frame, but sure. it's, it's been an interesting change. For example, uh, what they call short work used to be called brutal work or ugly work. <laughs> I mean, that was the term for it. 
and uh, you know, in, in, in his early classes, he he wouldn't, and he would casually say, oh, if you want to kill someone quick, you could do this, you could do that, mm-hmm. or he would go into detail about the proper way to tear off an eyelid or a lip or an ear. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I, I think, you know, it's, it's, I think they're trying to create good people and and uh, or just just quality people more than than the very early training, which was like you know maybe a little more hardcore. Mm. Um, but there, I, I like the whole. I mean, I like all of it. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. So. So so, I, so what I'm really interested in uh, one of the things I'm really interested in is how you've kind of synthesized this kind of wide breadth of knowledge, right? So you've come from a place where you have principles from lots of different systems, right? Um, and sometimes when people do this, and Michael's talked about this before, um, like seminars, I've heard him talk about it. He's like, sometimes when somebody studies like karate and then they study like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or, and, and then they have some wrestling or something, they put it, they try and put it together, um, but it's like they have several changes of clothes and it's like a, they, the systems themselves don't quite mesh. Partly, and Michael puts it down to the way that people hold their spine. It's like you hold your spine in a different way when you wrestle versus jiu-jitsu guy versus boxer. Hmm. It's too hard to keep switching between them, and so it leaves gaps yes. that, that a skilled fighter can exploit. Um, but I, I've been—I mean, I've been fascinated by where things overlap and fit together in hmm. my own training as well, and then seeing how other people have come in. And I've seen people with backgrounds in other martial arts who have trouble coming into Sistema because there's such an ill fit. <laughs> between fundamentally the way that you stand and move versus yeah. what they used to do and how they used to generate power. And I've seen other people do very well. So in, I mean, just as a, you know, example of observation, a lot of the time when people come from Chinese internal martial arts, they've done um, high level Tai Chi or Xin Yi or Bagua or something, right? And um, when they come in, I, I find that their, their ability to hold straight structure and, and relax their shoulders and generate power in the ways that are, Difficult for somebody who is, say, a karate guy or something like that a lot of the time, right? And they do well with that, but they also root themselves to the spot a lot. Like, you know, their, their feet become like tree trunks, and they have trouble right. letting go of it because they're like, well, this is where I get my power from. I have to root all the time. Um, so they yeah. have an advantage in learning some stuff and pressure and sensitivity, but they seem disadvantaged in others. And the same thing with if somebody comes in with boxing. Um, they have trouble letting go of the shoulders and not guarding mm. and doing the defend-attack thing. But they have a very keen understanding of distance and timing and how to draw somebody psychologically. And, do you know what I mean? And slipping yes. and moving body yeah. movement for the movement as defense. So I've, I've seen pros and cons, but mm-hmm. I'm always fascinated to find people who have taken two or three things and managed to kind of blend them in a way that's synergistic instead yeah. of goes back. And it sounds like you've, you've got about 50 things and you've found a way of making it work for you, you know, under, yeah. under the umbrella of what Sistema is as well, you know, which is not always easy. Well, um, yeah, with the Inosano had a funny analogy once about JKD, um, good JKD and let's say bad JKD. He said, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you cross train in things and you, you put together your own thing, there has to be a common thread that isn't conflicting between the different systems. And mm-hmm. so he said, you know, some people they they take a monkey wrench and maybe weld a screwdriver onto it, <laughs> duct tape a saw to it bolt a hammer to it so they have a multifunctional tool but it's completely ungainly yeah because it's not balanced or integrated mm. and he said really good jkd will incorporate things from different systems that don't really fight each other yeah and you just slide in and out of them mm. uh 
So that's a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was thought it was. I like I like analogies. Um, yeah. Yeah. The funnier the better. But um, so so you gave um, them so ahead of the seminar you um you you gave me just to, to kind of prime people I guess really to for kind of what kind of thing to expect a little bit um this kind of list of kind of training points to consider I found this really really fascinating. There were some things in there um you know like focus on form breathing relaxation. And focus on movement, and you can do that with waves or in isolations. They are fairly common throughout yeah. the systemic world, but you won't hear any argument there from anybody. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is fairly fundamental. We all have to do this all the time. Um, and maintaining a constant state of transition—that's another one. That constant movement, whether it's on the inside or <laughs> on the outside, right? Um, but there was a few others that I thought were quite interesting, like um, at close range, modify modify your flinch response, <laughs> and at long range, you're responding to intention. Sure. Can you explain a little bit what that means to you? It makes perfect sense to me, but it's like, how did you arrive at that? Was that something that was shared across lots of different arts, or was it? Yeah, that I guess that was largely from Sistema, and just the idea that, um, you know, if you're very close to someone, almost within arm's reach, and someone tries to sucker punch you, hopefully you're not daydreaming, but you're not going to be able to raise your hands up unless you already have your hands up in a, like a conversational stance, but you're going to have to... Uh, utilize a modified flinch. So you're going to lean back and roll your shoulder or something like that. Hmm. And uh, that works really, really well at close range where you're not going to be able to do anything with your hands. Uh, hmm. But at a distance, maybe kicking range or boxing range or confrontational psychological range, uh, you want to you know, be watching things like their center of gravity is it shifting into one leg or the other in between their legs? If they're in motion, you want to see you know, how their body is tensing up, uh, changing, whether you see a fist uh, form, whether you see their blinking increase, different tells that they're about to you know, launch uh, right. something. So you're trying to tune into things like that at long range and possibly preempt the person. Hmm. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so that there's just a distinction, and you don't want to try to do one in the wrong at the wrong distance, basically. So, right, you know, um, uh, at close range, you wouldn't do the same type of things that sure. you would at longer range in terms of preparation, motion, and whatever. Um, Makes sense. So, so there's another one, um, and this is very close to my heart at the moment. So I've just been thinking and working on this for quite a while. It's the idea of connecting with the opponent prior to physical contact, like outreach, like psychological yeah. outreach. Like it's almost well, like you're already in contact. When you're I, I've seen Vladimir describe that. I, I can't think if he gave a particularly a name to it. Peter Ralston called it outreaching. Mm. Um, and I, I think really good martial artists or you know, different styles do it, whether they can describe it or not. But mm. the way I describe it is, uh, okay, contact reflex is much quicker than eye brain hand reflex yeah so when i teach this and we'll do this to today and tomorrow a bit if you have a student hold their hands up um, and then you do a finger flip to their chest mm. and see if they can block it mm. if you're within arm's reach it's extremely difficult to sure. do that mm. uh, maybe they'll tap you on the retraction but it's hard to block that or parry mm. it or whatever and then if you put your hand twice as close lightly with their hand lightly touching your fist hmm. you can move absolutely at full speed and they'll pick it off every time because of that difference yeah so wouldn't it be nice to be able to access uh, contact reflex without physically being in contact hmm. 
So partially from Ralston's work, um, if you do something like take a balloon or a, not a super taut, but a, a like a Swiss ball, yeah. put it in between your bodies and uh, one person begins to move or like make a punching motion, you'll feel obviously the ball mm. like an early warning radar system mm. and without the guy physically touching you. And so one thing I got from Ralston is that you can recreate uh, just by sort of internally asking your body to do it. Um, you can recreate states. Yeah. Uh, so you imagine, you could imagine there's a ball or a spring or anything you want or an energy field in between you, but you, you just visualize that they're touching you already. Yeah. So if the person is moving subtly, you're moving with them yeah. and becoming part of their motion. Yeah. So when they actually launch, you're already in motion. Um, yeah. I was smiling because I'm starting cold. That's smiling because I feel that's that's something you know that I've learned to do, <laughs> you know, along the way. But I never, I didn't think of it in that conscious kind of physical movement of space thing. Right? You know, but that's that's literally a feeling. I think maybe Vladimir actually talked about that in the Parameters of Power seminar a little a little while like, a couple of years ago, and he was talking about, um, yeah, you know, I, really I've generating that feeling of, of doing that. He didn't describe it in exactly that way, but I think maybe that's where I picked up the skill or the or the, yeah. the drive to do it. But no, I, I, I've never heard it put succinctly as that. That's that's pretty no, cool. Yeah, but I, the the guys I've taught uh, this exercise that we'll do that, that have actually practiced it a bit, it's made a massive difference in how they move. Yeah. And you can see uh, if someone's moving at them, you'll see their body beginning to already subtly merge with the guy's motion. Yeah. And, uh, um, well, as you age, I mean, your reflex time is going to go down no matter how much you try to keep it up. But your response time mm -hmm. can actually get better the older you get. So I found mm -hmm. at the age I'm at, which is, you know, I never even imagined being this age, but uh, I can still respond really well to guys that are you know third my age yeah. but it's not because i'm reacting i'm mm. responding sure because in my mind or in my body um body mind i'm already touching them yeah just from years of practicing that that and so it's as if i'm already touching them and when they move i can come inside their movement um, yeah whereas if i was depending on reflex i mean it'd be a joke um so yeah um that also touches on, on a thing with the merging with traffic analogy. So if you mm. want to merge into a traffic flow going 70 miles an hour, you, you wouldn't want to merge with it going 50 miles or 90 miles an hour. Mm. You'd want to merge with it at the same speed. Yeah. And um, that's what your motion should be like, ideally in a, in a similar speed and mm. direction so that you can merge with the person. And, mm. you know, as they say uh, in Sistema, uh, you defeat them inside their motion. Sure. By becoming part of the motion. Um, yeah. And there's some ways to do that with uh, knife work that we'll look at too, which is uh, I haven't seen anyone really teach. Uh, Vladimir did this one time that I can remember in one of my classes. He's probably done it in thousands of classes I haven't seen, but it's a way of uh, if someone's coming at you in an extremely erratic, spasmodic, faking type of motion with a blade, uh, how you can merge with that and mm. not, not collide with it. Sure. So it's hard to describe. We'll, we'll, we'll be doing that too. Um, but it's the same principle. Yeah. Um, so there was, there's another aspect on this. You had a few of these, but that seem to be 
more about psychological state or emotional state than they are about positioning or mm. things like that. And which I and, and these reflect on things that I've heard Vladimir say as well, but I just like the phrasing that you put in here, like don't try to look good. Mm. Obviously, like if you're more focused on that than anything else, then <coughs> excuse oh, me. Okay. <laughs> Pardon me. <coughs> Wrong hole. <Okay. laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so, <coughs> so. And, don't, and don't try and mimic, you know, don't try to uh, mm. Deplete your reserve by mimicking ferocity and aggression. So when I think of sometimes like uh, some Filipino styles or people doing JKD or something like that, I can, you know, if you look at somebody like Paul Vunak or something like that, it's just like there's a lot of aggression and kind yeah. of like animalistic kind of rah, rah, going on all the time. And I'm like, wow, okay, that that to me doesn't seem to blend very well with Sistema. So when I, when I think about those two things coming together, as much, but in your experience, whether you're stick fighting or trying to do a screamer or do anything at high level, it's, it's never useful to just mimic ferocity and do it that way? So, um, yeah, um, in terms of looking good, don't try to look good. Um, not knocking the Chinese systems or Asian systems in general. I think one of the main problems that I've seen in them, <clears throat> in practitioners, it's as if, well, if you're doing a system and the teacher's been dead for centuries or decades you watch them and it's almost as if they're worried about their teacher being disappointed with them and twisting around in their grave yeah. <laughs> you know, if they don't look a certain way so it's about performance right? so, yeah, it, yeah it's about the aesthetics or the visual as opposed to the function yeah. and um, and that's a, a huge drawback because you're, you're concerned with that so mm. and you'll see some styles that uh like i mentioned names but um of, of people or systems that are built around the demonstration of certain techniques and you, you can see the ego and aggression and the practitioner showing up in the way they're moving and they want to look good mm. uh, even even down to their gestures and the way they present themselves so um, yeah I think you want to look functionally slovenly and, and, and that doesn't put that pressure of I must uphold the you know aesthetic uh, attributes of uh, you know mm. my 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 dead teacher, which I am trying to be the gatekeeper of uh, his his art or whatever. Mm. So um, yeah, I, I think that's a problem. Uh, so you you do, just don't want to be over concerned about how you look. That doesn't mean you're you know sloppy or careless or you know, um, but you you just don't want to be concerned that you're looking a certain way. Uh, yeah, because that that's just a huge. Uh, hindrance to moving naturally. Um, Vladimir would also add on that one is that that also makes you extremely visible and obvious. Right? Oh. If, if you're showing everybody your skills right away, it's like oh. showing them your poker hand before you've even done it. <laughs> That's a good way to put that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in terms of aggression, I mean, uh, <clears throat> I think if you were just a beginning student and you weren't going to really pursue anything in depth, but you wanted to defend yourself, yeah, probably practicing going berserk uh, with elbow strikes, you know, like like the Krav Maga typical photograph of them with sure. snarling and yeah, you know steam coming out of the nose sort of thing. That would probably take you further than trying to be a calm, gentle Tai Chi Aikido person trying to deal with someone utterly viciously coming at you. But hmm. um, I think it was Martin that told me a funny story about a SWAT team. He and Ken Good taught about how to breach a room. And so they had some posters made up, and, and he, they asked the group, 
who do you want to be with you when you breach that room? Do you want this guy? Mm-hmm. So they showed up a black and white photograph of, uh, I think, Ken Shamrock, <laughs> all roided out, yeah. making a most muscular pose with veins bursting. Do you want this guy to go in the room with you, mm-hmm. or would you rather have this guy? Mm-hmm. And he showed, up a, showed a picture of a, a, a sniper, you know, mm-hmm. an absolute dead, calm, cold, yeah. precise killer. Yeah. And so they laughed, and they said, that's why we're not mimicking... And in fact, when Vladimir and Martin did their, their shoots for Black Belt magazine, the editors were saying, eh, could you P.I. or make an aggressive yeah. face? And they said, look, that would be disingenuous uh, yeah. to do. I yeah. mean, that's not what we do. So they had a little experience with that. So, yeah, you don't want to. I, I think if you want to go to a higher level, you've got to get past the, um, you know, the snarling and mimicking of ferocity. Because, again, I think you do have something called a reserve Mm-hmm. And uh, a potential pool of psychological and physical energy, and if you, you know, are training uh, and bellowing and snarling and mimicking this ferocity, it's going to keep you from being able to be cold and calm and access more fine motor skills under pressure. Mm-hmm. But which is one of the you know nicest things about Sistema is is they they train directly for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it feeds in actually. So one of the other things I didn't go too far into this, no. we talked about it quite a bit on the on the podcast before. But you know, you uh, dropped in the OODA loop here as well, yeah. uh, kind of John Boyd's idea of that. And in terms of that, this the snarling, posturing, aggression, kind of the kind of press forward attitude instead of the kind of open up and see <laughs> everything attitude. It already, in terms of that loop, <laughs> alters your orientation. Right? <laughs> it, it already sets you in a, to to look for a certain number of things or look for a certain result, right? So if you're aggressive posturing and elbowing and right. pressing forward doesn't play out the way that you think it's going to, if you end up like getting counter fought from that position or, mm-hmm. you know, something else happens, then it's going to really disorientate you. The, mm-hmm. the only way that that's actually going to work is if that initial kind of blitzkrieg actually <laughs> does what you think it's going to do and terrifies right. the other guy and slams it down, then, then it's a great tactic. But if anything else happens, yeah, you, there's going to be a reorientation pause and you're going to be in quite a lot of trouble. Whereas like if, you, if you're calm, collected, maybe you try and shift a little bit, get a better position, <clears throat> feel like you're not out of position and counterattack <laughs> and it doesn't work, then you're not disappointed by anything and you can just continue to orient yourself. You know, like, <laughs> So I think in those terms, I think that's quite an interesting thing as well. I, I think there'd be people a lot more qualified than me to really dissect the OODA loop. Uh, yeah. The reason I, I bring it up um, to describe the difference between Sistema and, and a lot of martial arts um, that don't use the, the OODA loop, they... Okay, so in, mo- in many systems, you just observe and then act. You, you mm. don't really orient yourself or decide... Uh, you, you, or it's you, happening subconsciously. Yeah, because yeah. you're going to have a prearranged attack coming in, and so you don't have to think or orient yourself. You just have to, you know what's coming, and you just do the, the set technique. So, mm-hmm. you know, in, in Sistema, you're constantly observing. You're constantly orientating yourself. You're making micro-moment decisions yeah. by the, by the micro-moment. Mm-hmm. And um, I use that to explain a little bit about how sometimes he doesn't do it as much as he used to, but do uh, non-physical takedowns sure. and um, it's I, I explain to people that ask about it uh, they don't ask as much now but I, I try to explain it's not telekinesis it's the sure. same thing you see in a football game when a person fakes in one direction and moves in another you'll see sure. people fall on their face or yeah. you're in a shopping mall walking along and here a toddler is maybe coming towards you erratically mm. so you're observing that you're orienting yourself 
well, I can't step to the right. There's things in my way. I, and then, um, and then you're deciding to maybe step a certain way to get out of the way of the, the toddler. Mm. And then they change direction and you, to avoid them, you literally fall on the ground. So right. a toddler inadvertently, yeah, you know, you screwed up your OODA loop and yeah. made you fall down. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they're just doing that on a very conscious level, right? They just know how to make you flinch here, then there, then here, then there, and then you exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But uh, one other analogy on there, um, well, two more really briefly. Um, Ed Parker, who uh, was the creator of American Kempo Karate, I, I took a number of workshops with him. I've worked with Kempo people for mm. decades, teaching Filipino arts and then Sistema. Um, obviously, Martin's trained with uh, Mr. Parker. Mm. And um, so uh, he had a great analogy. If, if you were teaching uh, a student something that seemed too complex and the student said, ah, it's too complicated, I can't you know, do all this, he, he would bring up the analogy of what it's like driving a stick shift for the first time. Yeah. So you're trying to drive this car. You have to keep it on the road with this circular motion on the steering wheel. You have two feet and three pedals, yeah. and how do you manage the easing off of one pedal and the pushing in and shifting? Yeah. It's like, you know, pretty advanced. <clears throat> then, after you get that down, you can balance a sandwich on your thigh, a cup of coffee in one hand, yeah. listen to a radio, conduct a conversation with a friend in the car, yeah. look through three rear... You can layer on five or six things on top of what seemed to be impossible. Yeah. And... There's no technique or thing in martial arts that's any more complicated than that. Yeah. But but it can be a completely it can be made to be mm. a completely natural process. And uh, I, I'm, I I what I believe rightly or wrongly is that um, you know Sistema. I hate even trying to describe it, and I don't know the origin of it. Maybe it's all from Slavic dance, Cossack dancing. Maybe it's from you know, the investigations of different fighting arts that made the two early styles of Sambo. I, sure. I have no clue. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, but um, uh, well, the way I describe it to people is it's, it's I think of it as a connect the dot approach to, to martial art training. So you you have things you've ingrained in your nervous system from different arts and hopefully they're human centric arts that aren't, for example, Shaolin animal style, where you're imitating sure. a, a snake or a monkey or an insect, mm. or, I don't know, capoeira might not be a good fit with sure. Sistema, I mean, it yeah. might be, but, mm. um, so if, uh, if you, okay, we'll have to pause this, uh, that's okay, um, Totally lost my thread. What, what would I say? We're about the, the analogy of the stick shift and learning to drive a stick shift and taking extremely complex cognitive cognitive tasks. And you know, connect the dots. Yeah. yeah. So to restate, I think Systema is a connect the dot approach to training. So if you have neural things embedded in your nervous system, Systema will connect them. It certainly did for me in all the previous arts I studied, mm. and uh, it'll help you move in between those connected dots. It's like a, a definition of music I always liked is it's not the notes, but it's the space in between the notes that yeah. make music. Mm. So, but the thing is you, you have to have dots to connect. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if, if, if you're a systemic person with zero 
fighting art background and no street fights or roughhousing, and you only train with other systemic people, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, it can be almost like the like the royal families of Europe. They wanted to keep their bloodlines pure, mm-hmm. and, you know, the inbreeding they did to keep their bloodlines pure didn't mm-hmm. result in anything good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think a, a system is like an adaptive uh, system of training, but you have to have things to adapt to. It's almost like an algorithm, right? Or as people have compared it to an operating system, you know, it, it can it can help you run everything else more smoothly and faster, but it, in and of itself, right, you still need something to do with it. You know, I mean, you need, I, you need applications. You know, I, you I've learned do. far more from my students than I have from any teacher, including Vladimir, just mm-hmm. from problem solving and, mm-hmm. and trying to share or pass things on. Mm-hmm. And I think what probably um, geometrically increased Vladimir's skill level when he started teaching in uh, 93 mm. was the influx of different systems coming into his school. Yeah. And, uh, so you know, different problems, right? So, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, mm. I mean, you know, having grapplers come in and, uh, you know, different, different styles. Um, I, I would say that I, I don't hear Vladimir compliment other martial arts to a huge degree, but he's, um, on more than one occasion complimented the Philippine arts. Now maybe he's being kindly condescending, but I don't think he was, but he complimented them on their stick and knife movement. Yeah. And he's, he's done that with me. But, mm-hmm. um, but for the most part, I, I think what made him what he is, is teaching and problem solving and adapting to new things. So yeah. I, I think, again, going back to not looking good, you know, if you're able to do it safely and in a good, um, positive way, while you're learning Systema, work out with people that box, that yeah. grapple, that do various arts. Mm. And and don't think of yourself as a, that you're going to represent Sistema as much as just, I just want to have a learning experience. Yeah. And I, I think that can be hugely uh, beneficial to people. And I, I've met people, I, I don't know if they're in the majority or not, I'm, probably not, but I, I've met a lot of people that want to do pure Sistema. Mm. And uh, I don't think there's just such a thing. I, I think every person you know, is, is doing it in their own way, whether they think they are or not. Mm. And I think that's the best way, really. It's like, like being a jazz musician or an artist, you know, you, yeah. you're, you're going to do a different solo and not copy another person's solo. But you do need something to draw from. Right? You oh, yeah. You don't like, yeah. throw out all of the previous traditions and just ignore all the different ways of painting people have already figured out. All oh, the no, ways no. of playing the guitar that people might have done. Yeah, there's definitely yeah. like an uh, initial, like, like you want to imitate something to understand it, but then you've got to move past it yeah, and, and make it your own. Yeah. And then even while you're making it your own, you can still, I think, absorb different things from uh, different art forms. Um, yeah. Um, well, that last point on those those 29 principles that don't be snobbish concerning other systems. Um, Mm. Oh, I met a guy, I won't mention names, but he was um, in Sistema and he was critiquing to some other guy who had bought, had a cram, but it was a trainer, but he Mm. said, what, what a stupid weapon. It'd be so easy to disarm. And he was showing the guy how I could break your finger and this and that and the other thing. And I, I couldn't resist Mm. saying, first of all, what you may not understand about a cram, but, is that, well, if you were in Asia and you were up against someone, they frequently poison the blade. Mm-hmm. So, so if they nick you, it's better. over. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is it's, it's an organic weapon, and, and it's completely responding to pressure. Mm-hmm. And so I, I basically sliced the guy up with mm-hmm. a cram, but just, mm-hmm. just to make a point, mm-hmm. not, not to say Sistema wouldn't work against a cram, but it's just mm-hmm. don't be snobbish. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, um, and I, I think from what I've seen um, uh, in a school earlier was um, the, the people that cross-trained in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and then did Sistema, hmm. call it flow grappling or hmm. whatever, the, the ones that had the technique and then did the Sistema flow grappling would probably have an upper hand on either a, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guy or a yeah. purely Sistema grappler because with that technique... Uh, from the organized system, you're going to recognize opportunities that you're just not going to yeah. because you're concerned with flowing and moving and just creating openings and slipping things in. So, I, and, and you've had practice working against some some of the best people in applying uh, those chokes and locks. It's, like, it's fairly exactly. easy to escape from a headlock uh, from somebody who doesn't really know how to put a headlock on. No, I, it's uh, a lot harder when somebody's snitched in. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, on, on the old forum that we were talking about, the Russian forum. Mm. Um, I don't know if I made any friends or not, but the thread was up like, well, how do you teach brand new students without backgrounds? And, and I, I posted that I said, if, if you were a qualified Sistema instructor and you uh, opened a Sistema school and you got 25 students, they were complete total novices mm-hmm. with, with no fighting background, no street fights, nothing. They're blank sheets of paper. Uh, how would you teach them? What would you teach them? If you're going to get them to be able to mimic a boxer to deal with a, a boxing attack, you would have to teach them how to look like boxers. But they would look like really lame boxers, and they'd mm-hmm. be learning how to adapt against a lame boxer, mm-hmm. unless they really worked at it. Uh, likewise with knife attacks or grappling or whatever. So mm-hmm. the joke, I, I turned it into a little humor. If you happen to have opened that school, in a Chinatown that was rife with uh, uh, Tong gang attacks mm. who often use a miniature hatchet for their weapon of choice. Mm. Um, and they also have done other things like my, one of my Filipino teachers got in fights with Tong gangs and uh, they would do things like throw a glob of clay with hundreds of needles in it, in your face. And if you tried to pull it off, I mean, you're, yeah. you know, but anyway, if you if you had your Sistema school in a, in a Chinatown that was full of Tong gang attacks, you would have to learn how to mimic a Tong usage of a hatchet, yeah. as well as straight uh, punches from Wing Chun or Choi Le Fat or Hungar wide arm swings. You'd have to actually mimic yeah. the sort of style you would literally be coming up against in order to be able to adapt to it. Mm. Hence... Um, if I could rewrite my martial art background, I, I would have ideally started in grappling if it were available, mm. you know, and my and my body would absorb it and heal from it, and then move into striking, probably some traditional boxing, and then MMA, yeah, and some uh, you know hopefully good quality Filipino martial art training. And there's good, medium, and bad Filipino mm. you know, teachers out there. So, with a background in in striking and grappling and you know, weaponry that that again to me it is the perfect uh, early framework for it's a good foundation you know, for you. Oh, I, I believe then you, so. Then you got some dots to connect. Yeah, and they're and they're human centric uh, types of motions uh, as mm. opposed to like you know Chinese systems that are completely mimicking animals. Yeah, and the really good ones don't mimic an animal. They they will explain how the motion of the animal is mm. actually um, a very adaptable, slightly probably not stylized fighting technique. Sure. Uh, they don't just superficially copy the animal and try to look so much like a monkey or whatever. But uh, Maybe yeah. it's more like the conjuring the feelings, like you were saying, you know, this ability yeah. to 
create um, a type of movement through imagery or visualization. I, I think we're yes. finding more and more about that in neuroscience as well. You know, I was just listening to something recently about how we used to think that there was, you know, still teachers in textbooks that you have like a motor cortex in your brain that deals with movements and this part attaches to your left little finger and this part attaches to your left nut sack or whatever, you know, sensory. Right. <laughs> um, and then you have like, you know, other parts of the brain that deal with thinking, uh, like collaborative and other things. But some of the new revelations in this are that there's no part of the brain that's not linked to, that doesn't have a motor function. So literally thoughts are just you running yourself through imagined spaces. <laughs> so when you're talking to somebody about your house, this is an analogy I heard on this uh, discussion, you have to actually think about what it's like. You're, you're moving yourself through the house as you describe it to somebody else, right? And it, yeah. if you're talking about mathematics or music, you're literally thinking about the spaces <laughs> and, and the things in between the numbers or the tones and the things. So it's all about movement and distance and things like that. You know, it's like we almost can't do anything without thinking about a shape or a time or a space. And I think that's really interesting. And I think that can explain even without having to, you know, call forth a lot of spirit and key and chi and stuff like that <laughs> and energy. That explains a lot of how even just picturing a certain way of being, like <laughs> a, the way an animal moves or, yeah. or a Swiss ball between two people <laughs> or something like that can suddenly change the entire way that you interact with another human being. It's like a, a heuristic, you know, it simplifies everything so your body can take on different timings and shapes. So that's fascinating. You, you might have this book, but uh, our friend Brad Scornavaco told me about a really good book uh, called Slights of Mind mm. uh, that these neuroscientists... Um, uh, interviewed uh, some super high skilled sleight of hand um, magicians, mm. and 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 it was all about how they collect and focus a person's attention and mm. make other parts of the body mind uh, empty, mm. and uh, how they talk about things like uh, grid cells, which I guess are fairly recently discovered uh, neurons that sort of map out space around your body like a physical thing. It's like a yeah. out of body proprioception sense. Which would maybe explain how, you know, Vladimir has eyes in the back of his head yeah. or Michael will notice someone in a room doing something wrong. Yeah. Um, but that, that's a really good book uh, just on, on that type of topic, just to understand a little better about maybe why some of that stuff works. Um, that's excellent. I look and, uh, yeah, it's called Slights of Mind. And uh, mm -hmm. one of the guys they interview uh, is, was, is named uh, Apollo Robbins, the Gentleman Thief. I've heard him. I've seen his videos. It? Yeah. Yeah. His YouTube videos are fantastic because he will, um, you know, take someone in front of an audience and like, you know, he'll explain to them what he's going to do. I'm going to be wearing your wristwatch. I'm going to be mm -hmm. taking your wallet out, even if it's in a tight jean pocket. Yeah. I'll be doing this or that. And he will do all that and the person can't stop him. Yeah. And, and then what's cool about him is he will do it from another angle so you can see he's literally doing. everything he's doing, which is yeah. mind-boggling yeah. in, in, in how he misdirects you. But yeah. if you can imagine that guy with a knife in his hand and ill yeah. intent, I mean, yeah. that would be Vladimir, basically. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but Hopefully yeah, that was the ill intent. <laughs> 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 the ill intent, thank God. Well, this is, uh, I mean, I could literally chat to you for hours on this one. Maybe we'll have to do a part two at some point when we get back down. But um, we have to you have to go teach a seminar just now. So well, I guess uh -oh. we'll, we'll have to wrap this up and get it going. But thanks so much for uh, taking the time to chat to us. Been well, fantastic. likewise, Glenn. Yeah. Really, really good to be here. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Sistema, please visit us online at www.ncsistema.com.